David asks for us to talk about foundations a bit, so I've, I've given some thought, but I, I, would, I will talk a lot unless there's conversation. I may do it anyway. <laughs> but I, I would like for there to be, a, I'm going to get things started down a road, and I'd like for there to be a bit of dialogue, because I'm going to, um, whenever Joseph comes in, I, I actually had some questions that I knew would provoke him. Uh, so it's coming. They've come. There he is. If we start again, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be in Colossians one. You can have this one if you want. Because no, 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 no. I'm going to be out and about. Jason, just say briefly again about the list. There's a, a, a list going round um, for those who want to stay in touch with the others. You have a list of all the email addresses of those who are taking part. That's going around now. The second thing is, is a, there's a paper on a list here. If you want, um, that paper can go around as well if you like. If those who want uh, the, the messages or leave it to the messages that have been given, uh, George, J Joseph, and what Jason's going to bring, that's being recorded and you can get that as an MP3. Uh, if you want. Thomas. Last night. Was that recorded? I, no. Did you record it? It was. Oh, it was good. good. I recorded some of the prayers, but. Um, okay. You've heard it. You've heard it. Right. And then the the uh, the pot on the table in the middle is is the love pot, love offering pot for Nigel and Karen. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> 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 your love. <laughs> And then just to say that when this session is over, we have to say goodbye to Tracy very quickly because she's, she's off to the airport. Has to, we're trying to get her there by one. <laughs> okay, or one, yeah. So, and then uh, Gretchen's going to drive Tracy to the airport so that I can be here to receive the payments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's strategically placed by the door. <laughs> this is where, where Matthew used to sit, you know. <laughs> I want to get us started, but I think I would like for it to be more dialogue. George, 
brought us to the end of the message yesterday with some reference to the apostolic gifting and the woundedness that comes. And when we hear the term apostolic gifting, apostolic leader, we have different ideas and pictures depending on our, tra uh, our traditions, our theology, our experience, or the last seminar we've been to. <laughs> so I want it to be a bit of a dialogue, if we don't mind. But I thought I would start with a, with a story most of you probably know about a town in Turkey uh, and a young apostolic leader who uh, was very bright. He was a great athlete. He had all of the... Um, he had the best of the best. He had the best food. He had the best training in, in, for his profession. He had the best education. In fact, his, he, was a, he was personally mentored by a teacher who is arguably the most published, read, studied teacher besides Jesus in all of history. He had everything. Money was no object. Uh, transportation was no object. He was the head of a large organization. And he had great vision. Vision that was, that was beyond even his father's substantial vision. And he was the lone heir to his business. Um, this young man was Alexander the Great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you may know you may know the story of his education and of, of his exploits that ended a little earlier than his strategic plan really had in place. Um, but he came up to a city in what's modern-day Turkey, the city of Gordian. You all know this story, right? Mm -hmm. He came up to the city, and it was a key city, a gateway to the east, and he's preparing in his battles for the Persians. He comes up to the city, and um, he hasn't lost any battles. He, he, had, a, he had a good record. He didn't lose much. Very smart. He had advanced technology. Everything he needed. And so he came to this city and he knocked on the door and said, Give up and uh, send some people here. Send some of your best warriors. We're, we're on a campaign. And they said, Well, no. Uh, we will not surrender or let you in unless you solve our city's puzzle, which was a knot. They had a big rope, and it was knotted very intricately. And they said, if you can untie that knot, we'll give, we'll give you our allegiance. Now, he was a young apostolic leader, and uh, he was in a hurry. We all know people like this. A great vision, great capacity, and little time. So, he took out his... Uh, uh, his technological device, <laughs> he took out his sword and he sliced the knot in half oh. and took the city. It was a shortcut, saved a lot of time and um, it wasn't the way that they anticipated him solving the knot, but it's, it's, that's the stuff of legend. It's an analogy for me of a young leader uh, maybe an immature leader in some ways, uh, very gifted and clear thinking, creative, problem solving, 
knows what he wants to do, knows where he's at, and sees the quickest way there. And he has the authority that's given to him by his personality and gifting. He has the means, by virtue of the technology or the army behind him, to, in his own strength, get to where he knows, and in our case, where he knows God has given him a vision, the calling, the vision, the clarity, where he's going. He, uh, the, the gift given to apostolic leaders is, is most often a vision, mm -hmm. a clarity, something that they understand about the culture, the situation, that they, they know where God is taking, and they usually know that in, in advance of others. They understand something about the, the problem, something about the situation better than others. They can see it. It's, 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 it's really a, almost a supernatural gift of faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's as clear to them. The future is in the present tense with them. This is done. And others of us are going, uh, what are you smoking? You know? <laughs> of course it's not done. Hang on. It's done. We're going there. And that's, uh, that's one characteristic of an apostolic leader. Um, what I would like to submit to you, that, that, that is very much a, a, a... Alexander the Great provides a good illustration of in our own strength, in our own wisdom, solving problems. Where really the network of relationship, maybe the things that God's doing get sliced through for the sake of the task to accomplish what we know is God's vision. What can be above obeying God and fulfilling the calling He's given us? So I'd like to talk a bit about that and how there may be a better way. So to do that, I, I would like to... This is a concept I want to talk a little bit about later, but I want to get started because it could take a while. Uh, I think one way of thinking about apostolic prayer and intercession is rather than in human strength slicing through in our own strength to where we're going, is to untie the knot. Now, the things that we face as leaders are much more complex than this. In fact, there's bigger strands going through there. There's smaller cords. There's even thread like you would have in a garment. Long pieces of it laced through here. And it's huge. And this, this, this knot is created by broken people who are disobedient and living on a fallen planet who wound one another, who, who have planted seeds of unrighteousness, who have attempted things in their own strength. And every time we do that, every family, and the layer upon layer, life, civilization, gets very complicated. Anyone who's ever done any counseling, any discipleship, you know, it's very complicated. Where do you begin the healing process? Mm -hmm. Where do you begin the training? Where do you begin the undoing of the mess? It would be so nice to, 
to be tabula rasa and start with a blank slate and just build them up, but it's, we never get that chance. Mm -hmm. What we inherit is deep brokenness, woundedness, multiple harvests of sin re-sown, reaping the, reaping the harvest of sin and sowing the seeds again, and it just being a tangled mess. I want to, in a few minutes, present to you the idea that waiting on the Lord is a very active uh, endeavor. Mm -hmm. It is not stasis. It is not <clears throat> stopping. It is not taking a nap. It is it's an active perceiving. And, and the Prayer and seeking God, well, let me back up. I have a conviction that hearing God is fairly easy. Uh, His Word is really clear. And if it's not clear enough, just read it, think about it, and stop eating until it gets clear. <laughs> Very easy. Oh, it's very simple. It's not easy necessarily, depending on how long it takes. But hearing God is not near as difficult as we make it out to be. His word is very clear. He's always speaking. It's a matter of our hearing first. Uh, but harder than hearing is discerning the timing. Because waiting long enough, digging deep enough, you, you can get a sense of where he's going. And particularly, I'm thinking of apostolic leaders who may hear more quickly even than that. Before, maybe they don't even have to fast. <laughs> but they, the clearer it is. And, but the challenge is the timing. How do we navigate the timing of when to do what? What step to take? You know, seeing the Lord's presence in the desert was easy. Cloud by day, fire by night. It's just right there. The issue was when to move and to follow Him. And I think if you look through Scripture, there's a lot of waiting. If you've never, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard many sermons about this, but there's a lot of Scriptures about waiting on the Lord. It seems to me that waiting on the Lord is a litmus test, a, uh, a proving place for this confession that we make on day one of our journey with Christ. And we say, you are Lord. And we keep confessing this. It's really, maybe if we knew all that we were saying when we, when we lit the fuse and saying, you are Lord, we may not sign up. Mm -hmm. The way you test lordship is obedience. Mm -hmm. And obedience is really tested in waiting. If you think of the Lord, the King of all, you give him your full attention, and you do what he says. And when you don't do what he says, or when you do something that you think ought to be done, you are basically saying, you're not Lord at this moment. It's only when you respond to him that he is your Lord. It's not... And he can be your Savior, you can get your ticket punched to heaven, and you can just file that away. But he is Lord in the present tense only. He is, I am. When God disclosed Himself 
to his covenant people, his name was I Am. We look back at what the wicked have done. We look back at God's faithfulness. We look forward to the judgment of wickedness and to the manifestation of the fullness of God's kingdom. But in the present tense is where we live, and that's where God is. He is. I am. And the test of lordship is responding to him in the present tense. This is a, a huge challenge for me to, to learn how to attune myself in different situations to what he's saying. Um, I think this is the discipleship challenge that we have um, to help people hear his voice and commune with him and the goal that we have to have is to remove all the obstacles that will keep people from being able to do this, which may be wounding, which may be ignorance of Scripture, which may be they need to be in church, they need to learn how to worship. There's lots of things that we do that we call discipleship, but they're all to the end of restoring communion in the present tense with God. And so it's dangerous, I think, not dangerous, it's delaying sometimes, to institute a formulaic approach to discipleship based on our experience. Well, I did these three lessons, memorized these scriptures, and it worked. I mean, we can share that with folks, but it's much better to, what is the Lord saying, is the impediment to this person's obedience, mm -hmm. to this person's hearing. Is it they know nothing about God? Well, they maybe they need to know scripture. Is it they don't know how to pray? Is it they are so wounded that they can't even trust another person, much less a heavenly father. What is the impediments that need to be removed to their obedience? Because once they meet Jesus, they will want to obey Him. I think that needs to be our assumption. It was our experience, right? Is there anybody in here who, once you met Jesus, you didn't like Him? And you wanted to obey Him? You wanted to follow Him? And then the next thing you got was a handout of what to do. Um, that may have been helpful or it may not have been. The reason for disobedience is not knowing what to do as much as it is not being able to do it. So, discipleship is removing So I think that part of waiting on the Lord for His timing in the fulfillment of a vision particularly is a time that's um, where we focus upon Him, where we are praying with increasing understanding, and we are really untying the knot. If you're praying for the breaking of a bondage, of a deep division, like the split, Thomas, between the Protestant and Catholics at Wittenberg. That is a big knot. Mm -hmm. There are whole seminaries, there are whole continents that have been arranged because of that division. There are families torn apart. There's blood on the ground. There, the, the knot at Wittenberg is huge. And uh, you cannot call a meeting with a big enough sword to slice through it. You could, but, but better would be an untangling, somehow a patient untangling in prayer that would somehow salvage and secure and preserve something of the original beauty of what was damaged. And it is not a simple process. I mean, I don't even know where to start mm -hmm. untangling this nest. Uh, 
but it is possible. And Clay's going to start. And when he gets tired, <laughs> when, he, when he gets tired of messing with it, he's going to give it to somebody else. You know, you're not right. What kind of nut is that? <laughs> and this is a picture for us. I think of apostolic prayer. It's why sometimes we're just in His presence. You know, when we're praying for the reversal of of prejudices, like the wounds that come from the Holocaust. Something began in 92. Something began before that when Christ touched you at a Billy Graham crusade. Something began the first time you considered coming back to Germany. Something happened in 1992 at the reunion. Something happened when you came back and for a, accidentally for a day, and then when you came back for a month. All of those were pulling at this knot, this string, and you very wisely and gently <coughs> rolled it over in your hands and tried to find some of the source of that, mm -hmm. and it was an untangling. And then this week, just this week, the word is, something's different. Something broke. You, you found an end to start unraveling. And my expectation is, once you find the end, it gets a lot easier. Once you get to see the, a little bit of it. But in that gentle, patient unraveling is a, is an, is a possibility of preserving and restoration and reconciliation that would not have been... If in 1992, I don't even know if this is legally possible, you had come back and got the things that this is my property, this is my property, everybody, yeah, you know, whatever you, I don't know, I'm just kind of making that up, but you could have been more bombastic, more Alexander the Great-like, you could have, you would be justified in your anger, your hurt, there's other things, there's other things you could have, in 19, in 2002, in, or whatever that meeting was, it was such a disaster, you had every right to be offended, and to do whatever you, you could have done anything and no one would have thought it was wrong. But you chose something different. I, I think that the shortest distance between where we are and what God has spoken in our hearts and the quickest way through that is waiting on God. Mm -hmm. It looks like uh, you know, God's geometry is not our geometry. That's right. The shortest distance between two points is not a straight line based on our understanding, our experience, our, okay, to get there, I know I have to do this, 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 and it just makes, it, you can write it on paper. If you have any experience and any wisdom, you can do it. You can figure out how to get there. But God is on a, a multiple complex dimension. Who He understands the wounding. He understands mm -hmm. the history. Right. He understands that actually what I've shown you is the front porch to what I want to do inside the mansion that I have. And the only safe way of pursuing ultimately what he wants to do is to hear him. Because the fastest way to reconciliation in the Eiffel was waiting on the Lord. Seeking him. Praying, letting Him being formed in us, letting a team be built in a certain way, and God's not in a hurry. 
he's working in the life of a mayor. Actually, he may have to remove a mayor and put another one in. He knows when the Lutheran pastor who stood in this, he knows the days that his days are numbered. He knows all this. And he, he's working in individual lives. He's convicting people of sin who are reading that article today who knew nothing about it. He's doing so many things. And only he can handle that complexity. Only him. Amen. Right, when you get this done, if you, you can roll it up like a climbing <laughs> rope, which is what it was. <laughs> you know, the, the world we live in. I was in a meeting last week. They talk, talking about the world we live in. A world disturbed. Is the, that was the theme of the conference. A world disturbed on every level. Politically, economically, I mean, the world has always been disturbed since the, that fateful day in the garden, Genesis 3. It's always been disturbed, it's, it's increasingly complex, but today we have instant access to the disturbance, and it's more than we can comprehend. It's, it's on the news, it's, it's always yeah. with us. We, the disturbance is, and we know because of history, we also know that disturbance is creating more complexities than, than we can even see for our children. And, we, and we, all of this, and you get to a point, even the most stalwart of people get to a point of paralysis. There's no answer. What do we do? And uh, so it's either despair, which is how a lot of our European philosophers have decided, or it's something else the King of kings and Lord of lords, who will rule over all in righteousness, in doing what is right, in untangling and dealing with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> I, would, I, I think I'd like to draw a quick picture Maybe it'll help some of those of you who don't know about Antioch Network, some of our history. Um, those of you who do know it, feel bear with me a second. And then I want to talk about some of the... Uh, <laughs> you know, some people are better at things than others. Uh, so, this will be fun. Uh, Antioch Network, we didn't realize it at first. But I think it's always been about apostolic leaders. Uh, uh, just a quick history lesson. <laughs> Antioch Network uh, grew out of a group of local churches. Pardon. Okay. <laughs> it grew out of, a, of some local churches who had taken a class called Perspectives. That uh, basically it's a class on world mission. Does, it, does anybody not know what Perspectives is? The class? Yeah. It's a 14-week class on the world Christian movement, on missions. It goes, through, it goes one-third of it 
is through the biblical basis of missions from Genesis to Revelation. A third of it is on the history of the church and how missions has been integral woven in there. And a third of it is on uh, strategy. Is it called Fuller or something like that? U.S. Center. The U.S. Center for World Missions. Okay. Ralph, Ralph Winter. Ralph Winter. In the United States, this has been used a tool used by God to transform mission understanding. And uh, other places too, but there are a number of churches who hosted this class. Turns out one of the characteristics of these churches, we I don't know if, how soon George realizes, but one of the characteristics of these churches is they were led generally by apostolic leaders. Many of them were independent churches who had been a church plant out of the, the vision and gifting and energy of apostolic leaders. They were generally not traditional, denominational churches. Would that be fair to say? It was, it was those who had um, both a, a penchant, a, a, an inclination to creativity and faith and doing things, but they also had the freedom to do that. Now the church I grew up in, the Methodist church, you could have been as entrepreneurial and visionary as you wanted to and it wouldn't have mattered much. <laughs> because there was just, there was too much structure, too much history, too many, you, you, you were very limited in creating new things. But the churches that responded to this perspectives class, a lot of them were led by people who had the opportunity to act. And so at the end of this class, you come, they, they give you a couple of facts. In the world, there are 12,376 unreached people groups, or whatever the number was or is. You know what an unreached people group. And it puts that number there. And it said, in America alone, there are 400,000 Great Commission New Testament Bible-believing churches. And the class ends. So, some of those who are taking the class goes, well, I don't want to be part of the problem. We'll take one of those. And people began to adopt an unreached people group. Having no idea what they were doing. So we had local churches who got a vision for unreached uh, people groups. And uh, since a lot of these churches were independent and had been planted by an apostolic leader, they said, we'll just, they look around, we'll just put a team together and go do it. Jason, would it help to give a quick definition of an apostolic? I mean, you're kind of describing it. I know. I, 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 that's actually the discussion I want us to have. I want to present the problem and then throw out some possible, and then that's when the discussion starts. So we wanted to go... Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I'm What time? And that in itself is very positive. To get excited. Thank you very much. Please. Yeah. I do want it to be a discussion, but I did say that I can talk a lot. <laughs> so thank you for that. That's, I really appreciate that. I want to, because I don't want to miss this, because I want your input on the discussion that's going to follow here. So I'd like for you to all to be tracking. So 
One of the conclusions that these local churches came to is that we, could, we should send someone. And they thought, most of these places, there's no churches. We don't just send one person. Uh, we send a team. Now, traditionally, we have mission agencies. Frontiers, YWAM, Campus Crusade. I mean, there's hundreds of agencies that grew out of a season from the 1700s and the Moravians and William Carey up to present. Uh, mission agencies where local churches realized they couldn't do this. So they all pooled their resources, starting agencies and organizations. Some were, some were partnerships. Some were created in the absence of vision. Uh, or where, there's, where someone wasn't going. Your, the history of YWAM was in the middle of the 20th century, there were youth that were, were not being mobilized at the level they could. So Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright and Jay Kessler saw this massive resource and uh, OM in, a little bit later and began to mobilize youth into, into this mission realm. Uh, sometimes that was in absence of others being able to do it in the local churches, agencies, denominations. So, but most of these churches were fairly independent. The churches I'm talking about now were fairly independent. And so they decided we will send teams. So we will send teams who will be a microcosm of the church. They'll be a beachhead, a place where the community can go, they can strengthen one another, they can survive long enough here to see the gospel planted in multiplication. Um, early on, it was realized, oh, teams require leaders. Because teams without leaders are not really teams, they don't go anywhere. And this particularly was known by this group because this is such a creative, entrepreneurial, new model. New, this is a new wineskin church, maybe, is the way to understand it. They were doing things. And they needed leaders. But we, was, we know that business and churches and new endeavors rise and fall on the quality of leadership. That's not saying that um, leaders are better. It's just one of the gifts that's necessary to be effective. Sports, politics, uh, democracy is one thing, but if it's completely flat, <laughs> it's completely flat and ineffective. Leadership is everything. So, a certain kind of leader, a leader who is gifted, and the term began to emerge apostolically. An apostle in the scripture, uh, one who's sent out to start a new work. One who has authority to, to do things. Who, who has some spiritual authority and presumably spiritual maturity. So we began to look for a certain kind of leader. Um, Apostolically gifted leader. To lead the teams who will then go to the unreached people group. The problem in all of this, George 
introduced to us yesterday, is wounding. And sometimes that's just immaturity. Sometimes it's history. Now, churches are often led by wounded leaders. And churches wound even more at times. And all these leaders themselves were wounded. And they're trying to go to a wounded mission field. And they're creating teams that are going to function because of woundedness in the members and creating more wounding, and the knot gets worse rather than better. So first, this movement called Antioch Network started to send and to fulfill the Great Commission by reaching other people groups. We decided to send teams pretty quickly. Oh, this, this makes sense. This is drawing the straight line. <laughs> teams make sense. Teams need leaders. And then, very quickly, George and a few others began to discern, because of their experience and all they knew, that uh, you just can't pick a gifted leader and put them in a team and send them to another country. And we tried that a little bit. And George spent many of the early years visiting those teams and ministering to them. Because there was wounding and immaturity. And we, we were not necessarily here being completely biblical. We weren't sending Paul and Barnabas all the time. Paul, who had been in the desert 15 years in preparation, and then who then ministered even longer than that in the local church. We weren't sending, we were sending people that were young, energetic, passionate, gifted, smart. They knew the, we were looking at what made sense um, and sending them. I'm speaking, by the way, in very, very general terms. Every situation was completely different. And there weren't that many of them. <laughs> so, I, when did the, this all start? In the late, the late 80s is late when 80s. this particular movement started. Okay. 1987. Okay. Um, when they started doing the prospectus class off campus in the mid-80s. There were just a few of them. So... This began a journey for George, primarily, and the rest of the council in trying to understand how to do this and start peeling back the layers. Well, to deal with leaders, you have to deal with the context in which they were wounded. So you have to deal with churches, and church, churches are led by wounded leaders, either in a team or individuals. And so uncovering and dealing with these things for seasons made it look like are they even doing missions work among the unreached any longer? Mm -hmm. What are they doing? But it was a, we understood the components going into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, as particularly the Lord gave George and Hannah as a gift to this movement and to the world, because they understood this, having lived through it, and they understood this, and they understood this, they understood a lot of these things, and they understood the wounding in the local churches. And as they began in their own journey of healing, they realized that churches' wounding is not just because those who lead them are wounded, but it's even deeper. Those leaders were wounded because, well, they were split off from another church. So the ch and then that church, and the whole division of, of Christendom. 
if you trace back where the, you start looking back where the wounding came from, maybe a brethren church has four or five other brethren churches it split off of. Or a charismatic church, that's the way we plant them. You know, we split them off. Or Baptist. We, we often, and so we don't, we do it, it's the spirit of divorce in some instances. And the spirit of divorce says, well, once you get that in your mind, if I was just free of that person, things would be better. I can't handle the stress and the emotional pain of this relationship. So you lock on the idea that divorce is the answer. And then once you worship at that altar, it's very hard to back out of that. And so that happens in institutions also. Just ending the relationship, I just can't bear the pain anymore. Now, Jesus made provision for a divorce. The scripture made provision. And God redeems all things. He knows in our weakness what we can bear, and He takes care of us. But as the journey of this small band of Christ followers we began to looking at, and so I think maybe, and George can correct me, the first divisions we began to talk about were the historical church and the, and the more free evangelical churches, Protestant churches. And um, later came, well, there was even divisions before that between the Messianic mm. movement when as early, the Council of Nicaea for sure was anti-Semitic and, and saying that this is, you know, they have to join our churches rather than you know, there's, there's, it probably goes, there's maybe documents before that, but I know that there's just a history of division and wounding piled upon each other. And, you know, even in the Reformation, such wickedness in the lives of the leaders who are shaping that movement that God used in, in divisiveness and lack of healing. So it has led us down this path for healing for churches. Because what happens when you send out a team, it has DNA, spiritual DNA. You can't, you, what you reproduce in a field cannot escape being what is imparted. You can't impart something that you're not. That, that's why sometimes we hear great sermons that we, that we really love. It, was, it, it moved us, but we can't remember it. Because... That was just somebody reporting something they heard. But sometimes we hear somebody sharing a message that we never forget. It impacts us. And it was so simple. It wasn't memorable because it was simple. It was memorable because out of the incarnate reality of that truth, it was spoken. And as that living word went from that person to you, it had with it authority to and capacity to obey it. And you wanted to obey it. And you were able to obey it. And so, in order to not create dysfunctional teams led by dysfunctional leaders that would then plant a dysfunctional church in an unreached people group, which was already layer upon layer of lies and dysfunction based upon the culture. I mean, Islam alone, the, 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 the not is inconceivable. And then to plant in there a church. So, at some point, do we just throw up our hands in despair and just, okay, I'll just work on what I, What do we do? But the Lord led the faithful few people, and this is not just Antioch Network. 
God is doing this lots of places. He has all sorts of things going on for healing the church, for, for getting us back when we need to be. He's ever at work doing that. Can we open that door and get a little breeze in here? So, in this process of getting a, a healthy leader, leading a healthy team, that's starting a healthy church, I mean, that's the journey we've been on. And here at this place, in the apostolically gifted leader, this is defined uh, by many, probably 15, 20 years ago, prophets and leaders world over began to use this term apostolic much more freely. Hmm. But it was something the Holy Spirit was doing. Mm -hmm. And um, many people have defined this in different ways. I've heard it defined as an entrepreneur. It's just an entrepre mm -hmm. a spiritual entrepreneur. I've, you hear it defined as those who initiate, those who create. It literally means, in, um, in the Greek, it literally means one that's sent out. So it's those we send out, like even a, maybe an evangelist or somebody that's being sent out one Sunday to go to work. They can be apostolic in that. Some people began to define it as, uh, in the governmental terms, an apostle is someone who oversees churches. <coughs> And uh, so there was some confusion in what an apostle was. And people, who, we had never experienced it, so people were offering all sorts of ideas. David Devonish's book on the fathering leaders, mm -hmm. he chronicles some of these and gets it down to something very... <coughs> he, he probably trims it further than I would have ever thought of trimming it down. Mm -hmm. But he's very clear. Mm -hmm. And I think we've also done that... What is this? We've confused apostles with bishops who were overseeing things. We've confused it with chairmen of boards and corporate leaders. We've confused it with a lot of things. What I would like for us to talk about today is apostolic leadership. Um, I need to you know what time it is. So I'll get this. Um, to start the conversation, I, I have four <coughs> attributes of apostolic leaders that I've heard talked about, and I want this to be our discussion point. Um, we read a verse yesterday about the, the Apostle Paul talking about his own suffering, mm -hmm. the difficulties. Uh, you don't always hear that in the definition of apostolic, but they're the ones who carry in their body the wounds and the difficulties. They, but that doesn't stop them. Um, understanding suffering is key, and processing suffering, whether it's wounding or redemptive, is a big part of our challenge. So, so that'll be maybe one thing we can talk about. Suffering... And uh, along with that, the maturing. The maturing. See, apostolic leaders in the, it usually lead churches and teams, but where do they come from? Is it possible in the context of a church or team 
to see apostolic gifts and nurture those in a healthy way. Because often, they're so gifted in a way that's disruptive that they actually leave and start other ministries or other churches. So they're maturing, and George has done a lot of teaching on this, it's available, is short-circuited because of their lack of ability to trust and submit and be nurtured. But they're also haven't proven themselves trustworthy to be trusted by them. So there's this tension. So how, do, so how do we mature them? You know, the Apostle Paul, uh, he had to mature. He, he, he was not complete and mature the day, even through his second missionary journey. You know, there was something that he was wrestling with in the the thorn in his flesh. What was that? What was that suffering? He said it was working in him a maturity and a glory. What was he dealing with? Uh, he had some problem, whether depending on how you look at this, with John Mark and Barnabas mm -hmm. at, um, at Perge, and they split apart. Uh, he he didn't seem to be a patient man, which uh, you know we can understand that. He had a a vision from God from day one, and he was pursuing it, and he had a roadmap of where that was to go. And uh, he wasn't going to wait around for a young guy who was having an identity crisis or whatever John Mark was ha whatever whatever was happening there, or legitimately hearing the Lord. He, wasn't, he didn't have room for somebody to hear the Lord other than him, maybe. Who knows what the situation was. But there was maturing. Later in that same... In the, in, a couple years later in that journey, he came to Troas. And uh, we read about it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He came to Troas. He had been trying to go east, and the Holy Spirit kept pushing him, to, pushing him west. He got to Troas, and it says, and we arrived, and there was an open door for ministry. Now, the Apostle Paul, what would you think he would do with an open door of ministry? Well, if you know that scripture, you know what he did. Mm -hmm. He didn't go through it. And why didn't he go through it? It's very interesting why he said, we had an open door for ministry, but we did not have peace in our spirits. Mm. Because Titus was not there. A few, uh, earlier in the journey, he didn't wait on John Mark. But now he's waiting on Titus. Part of his ministry team is not there, and it gives him pause. I would offer that maybe part of the maturing of the apostolic gift is learning to appreciate, understand the value of a vital part of a team, and submitting to it. I, I, that needs to be part of the discussion. Because there was an open-door ministry that he did not go through because of a relational issue. It's interesting if you jump over to Acts 17, I think, 19. Um, while he's in Troas, we find out while he's waiting, he has a vision. Another, a more clarifying vision. His vision in Damascus, on the road to Damascus was to go to all the nations. Now he gets it, a man from Macedonia. While he's waiting, because of disquiet in his spirit, because a team member's not there, God speaks more clarity. Do you see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. So, realizing the Lord has given instructions, he goes to Philippi. And we know what happens in Acts when he goes to Philippi. He shares the gospel down with Lydia. 
and then uh, he casts a demon out of a fortune teller. Mm -hmm. It gets him in a lot of trouble. He gets thrown in jail. You can't get more closed doors than jail. <laughs> but he writes in chapter 7 of Corinthians, when we arrived in Macedonia, there were, we had doubts within, harassments are all around us, and he lists this long litany of problems, and he said, but our, but our hearts were rejoicing and at ease. Why? You remember? At the coming of Titus. Oh. <laughs> so here's what I would offer. I told Thomas I was going to mess with his open-closed door thing. Uh, you can do open-closed door thing. But I think open-closed doors in the maturing of apostolic gifting are not of much help. It, may, it means, what's the Lord saying? Because some doors need to be gone through that are closed. And some doors that are open need to be driven by that exit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so maybe relationships are a gauge of that. Um, instead of doing all this, I'll just do one more for discussion's sake. Because I want to hear, I, I don't want to propose all the characteristics of apostolic gifting. And I just want to throw it and begin the discussion. I know everyone in here has something to offer on this, and I thought it would be a good discussion. But I will offer, because I talked about waiting on the Lord uh, and untangling, and uh, I think that's characteristic of, of a maturing apostolic leader. Because remember, Paul ended up after that having a lot more closed doors of the nature of prison. Mm -hmm. And yet, his most fruitful activities. But we read about him in prison, but at the end of uh, Colossians, I think, and we, we read about him in Acts, prison was a non-event for Paul. It did not stop his prayer. It did not stop his discipleship. It didn't stop his vision. He was still running about, well, I'm... Slightly delayed, but we'll meet you. I will be there sometimes. <laughs> it was a non-event. Oh, I'm in prison. I get to finally fulfill my destiny to speak before Caesar. Praise God! <laughs> Fifteen years waiting in there. Five. He, he was oblivious. You know, sometimes apostolic leaders have blinders on that that they don't see the full range of their circumstances and how impossible they are. Because they've been given the gift of faith that sees something that is done. And they speak of it. And this is what I would... The last thing, I'll almost stop here. <laughs> I think you will find a maturing apostolic prayer when it begins, and this is not something that's just for apostles, when it begins to be in the present tense, by faith, when the broken, not the broken body of Christ, Lord, help the broken body of Christ to be healed, to be restored, let, recon let reconciliation come, but when something in the person and maybe this is not even prayers that can be prayed in public for 
risk of misunderstanding, but they move to the present tense. And we're in the <coughs> book of Revelation. If you will look in the Psalms next, as you're reading through them, or look in the New Testament epistles, notice just how much is in present tense. And notice the things that are in past tense and future tense. And notice what's in These people lived in the present tense. Mm -hmm. And apostolic prayer, and I think mature visionary prayer often is in present tense. Even though uh, they can't do it out loud because their sanity would be called into dispute. <laughs> but it's there. And they're calling forth that which is not as though it were. Because God has come alongside them. And it's like they're walking with God and God says, what are we going to do? And we're going to reconcile the body. We're going to heal the wounds of Messianic Judaism. We're going to reach the unreached. We're going to we are, not, not we're going to, this wound is healed. This, there's a church among this people. And it moves into the present tense. Because that's where God is. And uh, the last thing, I guarantee you this will be the last thing, um, is a, another concept I'd like for you to look at as you're looking through Scripture. And we, I've prayed it a couple times, we've talked a couple times, but the, along with waiting on the Lord, there's often, in some of the same Psalms at least, there's this concept of the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, I, I've got three graduate theological degrees. And I've read a lot of books. And there are some things in Scripture that bother me still. Particularly the things that Jesus said. But there's some kinds of, this whole idea of the fear of the Lord, I don't know how many books I've read on it, how many sermons I've heard on it, I have not been comfortable with what I've heard. Completely satisfied. And part of that, the Lord didn't let me see what they were seeing. But I have a new definition of the fear of the Lord. It simply is the presence of God. Um, if... Um, Miss Merkel, the leader of Germany, were to walk into this room right now. Who's a pretty amazing lady, but her position demands respect. We would be great to talk to her. If she came in this room, we wouldn't ignore her. We would orient our attention toward her. Out of respect, of, and it, it would be unusual. I mean, for all kinds of reasons, we would change what we're doing based on her presence. And we do that with people all the time. The more important they are, the more we quickly gravitate our attention. It's not that we're afraid. We're honoring. We're respecting. We know the, the power and the authority that's there. And so it's the same with God. When you're living in the fear of the Lord, you're living in awareness of His presence. And you behave differently in the presence of someone than you do in isolation. And in the presence of God, who knows you, the things you speak will be different. The things you do will be different. And I, I think the fear of the Lord is another point of apostolic maturing. Hmm. Understanding, and it gets back to this whole communion with the Lord in His presence. Um, we will leave it at that. I, I would like to, 
I know I'd like to hear from Joseph. I know I want to hear from George. But I want to hear from others who would like to reflect. Because I think that Antioch Network's calling and present... From the beginning, we didn't completely realize it, but I think much of what God's called us together to do is to understand, to cultivate apostolically gifted leaders. And really, we are a very small organization that's very loosely connected with others who are not even part of the organization legally, and not on staff, that are apostolic leaders who find fellowship with one another, encouragement from one another. And uh, it's, to, there's no organizational chart you can draw because it's really lines of relationship. But there is a need for those gifted to, that are leading movements, that are changing the course of history, to have some interaction. And I think that's a lot of, we are not alone in that, but that's something that God's given us to do. Mm -hmm. So, how can we do it better and how, what is your understanding of that? George, would you want to reflect and put us back on the course? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd like to yield to others. Okay. J yeah. Jason, I think one of the things that you've already mentioned that is important to keep in mind as like a meta-narrative here is the concept of waiting and of being okay with waiting. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, for apostolic leaders, but also for the entangling of the knots that we've created. I think that's a really important principle because waiting in is, is, like you said, it involves more than stasis, it's active. And it is difficult because you don't accomplish things, you don't really accomplish things when you're waiting. And so it can look like failure, but it's not failure. But I think that's important to bring, mm -hmm. just keep in discussion. Yes. I find it really helpful, Jason. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So sobering. <laughs> it's something, I, something to work on. I've got no um, comments to make other than that. I think it's foundational uh, to what the Holy Spirit is, is preparing for the coming season. This, this has to work. Mm. It will work. It is working. <laughs> <That's the text. laughs> yeah. Amen. Good catch. <laughs> you know, in terms of suffering, uh, early in the j Christian journey, we encounter lots of problems that are of our own doing. I mean, all throughout the journey, when you sow bad seed, you get bad harvest, and you suffer. And we all know that. And we see people that have problems, and we go, "Yeah, I knew they were never doing it that." So we we cause and effect. We connect those things. It's not really suffering. It's bad harvest when you're doing that. It's not smart, but sin is stupid, but we still do it, and it just produces that. But as you mature as a leader, and you begin to be obedient, and that obedience causes you into relationships where you have to submit to others, and 
you, you continue to mature and obey and <coughs> pursue God, you get a new identity because you're sowing in righteousness. And you start to see yourself as a pastor of a great church. And I'm fulfilled. And pretty soon you're not sowing so many bad seeds and lots of good seeds. And this new identity uh, is beautiful and people like it and it becomes who I am. But eventually, uh, Jesus basically said, you've got to die to everything but me. And so he, he'll call us to die to even good identities. Mm. And when that, along with when we're pursuing God and really being effectual in submission and obedience, we're really moving the boundaries of God's kingdom. In the early days, we're just rearranging our own soul and putting it in order underneath Him. But in the, when we really begin to move in higher level gifts, we, we push the boundaries of the kingdom back, the, the, of darkness back, and the kingdom further. And though that always comes with resistance. You, you just can't move into the enemy's territory without resistance. And the enemy afflicts, and, it, and we see people suffering. The, the, that's why Jesus says, do not judge. If you're assuming it's because they planted a bad, they did something wrong, that they're suffering, it may be that they did something right. <laughs> and it's best not to judge the, 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 the servant of the king. And it's not safe or wise to do so. We don't want it done to us. Because we don't even understand why we're suffering. We thought, I, I've done everything. Why am, I, why am I going through this? Why am I having to die to self? Why is this? Uh, but it may be evidence of righteousness, evidence of obedience, rather than the opposite. It's, it's very dangerous. Um, Jason, what direction would you like the dialogue to go in? Do you want us to say what we think a good definition of apostolic yeah. is? Or, or um, you know what? I, I don't quite understand what you want to do. I, I, I think in this circumstance with the variety of people, to, uh, to have your understanding of that, of apostolic would be, and for us to share that together from different perspectives would be helpful. Okay. Yeah. Or saying, you know, I don't agree with that, it's okay too. Okay. <laughs> it really is okay. Because it's, it's a learning time for all, for me. I, I know that Wyland is apostolically led and a movement of apostolic leaders. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm sure, I would assume you have some insights here. Um, if, you, if you look at the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, you know, the five mm -hmm. things, all, all I can say is that what, what, I, what we've experienced or what we're in the country is that when a church is led, or a group, or a ministry is led in with a team leadership, where there's a good mix of all of those, but with maybe stronger leadership from the apostles and prophets together, or an a person who, and I would say in that respect, my definition or in practical side of an apostle or a person who's apostolically gifted is a person who can see somehow the bigger picture in his 
in his town or his region or his country, his nation. He's not, whereas often a person who says more a pastoral type or a teacher type, That's my he sees his thing, his church, his ministry, and his whole heart and investment and everything is in that, but it's very difficult for him to see mm. the big, bigger picture that his thing is a part of. Mm. That's right. And if a, a local ministry or a church or a, some kind of a ministry is, is led by people with apostolic giftings, then usually that person is a person who can see the bigger picture and broader and is able then to lead the people in that ministry or in that group into an, um, an understanding of the broader picture. Otherwise, you know, an evangelist often thinks really... Um, uh, in a fairly intensive, narrow field, you know, he sees the 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 lost and and goes for him. Whereas an apostolic leader, and if he's closely relating to somebody who's got real prophetical gifts and is really hearing from God, really seeing clearly, that together can help lead a group into a. Um, you know, a broader picture of what God is, is mm. doing. Yeah. If it was the church is led by a teacher, or somebody I, I'm, who's I'm seeing this lived out in Turkey right now. So I'm just, yeah. Yeah, just, mm. we're, we're actually just seeing the first Turks move into those more broader national strategic places of yeah. kind of apostle, prophet, maybe even evangelist, seeing the bigger picture of evangelism. Yeah, the combination of the different <coughs> gifts. Mm -hmm. Isn't it, isn't it true too that a person who's an apostle, he's got a good mix of all the other four that combined with the ability to see the bigger picture and the yeah. breadth of what God is doing? Yeah, I, I think it's never one gift. It's, there's always mixes. Mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. yeah. And rec recognizing the diversity of the gifts and employing them is a is a a principle that is largely lacking in the charismatic churches and the established churches and the structures we've invented don't tend to foster that recognition mm -hmm. and interdependence and interaction. Mm. We have more business style CEO or maybe a republic government imitated style of but, but not, I think there's something more biblical and more, more based on the interdependence and the, the use of the gifts, a different model that may, maybe it's already emerging. Ich weiß nicht, ob ich alles richtig verstanden habe, ich bin, aber ich bin total aufgehört. I don't know if I've understood everything, but I'm uh, really stirred up inside. <laughs> and what I have understood is very good. And I will describe what I see or live. And I want to attempt to describe what I see and what I experience. Yeah, which is also related to our own experience, my husband and wife, and also David. And yeah. 
Wir sind viele Jahre in einer Potsgemeinde groß geworden. So we grew up in a, in a local church. Viele, viele Jahre waren Teil des Pastorenteams. Team. Geleitet von einem Senior Pastor, and der ohne Frage auch ein apostolischer Led by a senior pastor who had an apostolic authority. Und wir haben über die Jahre hinweg viele Teams ins Land geschickt. We sent out lots of teams into the nation. Aber ich kann mich an höchstens ein Team erinnern, was innerhalb des Landes erfolgreich dann sich etabliert hat. And I can think of one team that actually was successful and became established. Alle anderen sind eingegangen. All the others failed. Der Ansatz, das, das Herz, das Anliegen, das war erkennbar und es hat genauso stattgefunden, wie du das erzählt hast mit der Aussendung. And that is, is what happened as you described it with sending out. Ja, es gab, teams. Genau, es gab zwei Teams außerhalb des Landes in Kasachstan oder ein Team in Kasachstan, was von David und Kretia betreut worden ist. Dort ist und durch ihre Art und Weise, durch das Ausleben von Vaterschaft, von Dienst, von Hingabe, ist dort etwas entstanden, was Bestand hat bis heute und was, was, äh, was arbeitet. My team we sent out was uh, taken care of by David and Gretchen and that team, uh, what they did, uh, still continues today. So it, it actually, actually works. Ganz entscheidend ist, der, ist das Herz der, der apostolischen Väter und Mütter. And what was the, the critical factor was the father heart, or the father mother heart yeah. of the, the, the senders. Was yeah. it senders? Yeah. For me, it's not a question of organization, of organization. It's not a question of organizing things. But it's a question of character and dependence on God. How in cooperation does the kingdom of God built? It's a question of character and dependence on God, and how that works itself out in what's the word? Kingdom. Wie, wie das kind, Königreich dann gebaut wird. Es also breitet sich ja aus. Es soll ja Teams entstehen. So für mich ist ein entscheidender Schlüssel. Wie wirken die apostolischen Väter und Mütter zusammen mit den Söhnen und Töchtern, die ausgesandt werden? So that's my question. How the, 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 the apostolischen Väter und Mütter, how they relate to the sons and daughters that go out. So und das ist für mich ein entscheidender Faktor. Jeder apostolische Vater, jede apostolische Mutter, jeder Sohn und Tochter hat Stärken und hat Schwächen. And everyone in the in the group, the, the fathers and mothers and also in the sons and daughters, they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses. Und wie gehen wir in der Freisetzung der 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 Söhne und Töchter um als apostolische Väter? And how do we relate to the uh, the release of the sons and daughters? Setzen wir wirklich frei, ohne kontrollieren zu wollen? Do we really release them without uh, strings attached? Stehen wir wirklich dahinter und sagen, Sohn, Tochter, geh, ich stehe hinter dir. Und sending them out, son, daughter, go, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Ja. Und sind in, auf einer, wie ein Vater oder eine Mutter wirklich alle Zeit da, zu helfen, in Liebe zu dienen? And are we present there as a father and a mother to, to help, strengthen, encourage? Aber lassen wir wirklich das das Team, die Berufung, das, was gewachsen ist bis dorthin, ich sag mal, in guter Weise laufen, wie ein Sohn oder eine Tochter, Vater und Mutter verlässt und etwas selber baut. Do we trust them to, do, to get on with what they've been sent to do without controlling? Andersherum, wie gehen, die Söhne, wie gehen die Söhne und Töchter um mit den Stärken des Apostels oder der, des, des apostolischen Paares, aber auch mit den Schwächen? 
But how, and how do the, the sons and daughters relate to the apostolic fathers and mothers it's, it's with strengths and weaknesses? That's the question, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. the, yeah. Yeah. And I wrote down a sentence pain, you said yesterday. Pain, uh, pain. Better or bitter? Better or bitter, Bitter or better, yeah. Wir haben aus unserer Erfahrung, und das ist ganz entscheidend für die Fruchtbarkeit dieses Teams, weil wenn es in einer ungesunden Abhängigkeit ist von den Vätern und Müttern, ja, weil eine Bitterkeit da ist, werden sie sich nicht weiterentwickeln können. Because if the team, because of a, 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 a bad relationship, if there's a bad relationship, then what will happen, that, that team will get bitter and they will gradually uh, Lose themselves from the attachment. Es muss ja zu einer Mündigkeit kommen dieser Personen, die ausgesandt sind. So there needs to become a maturing of those of those who are sent das out. Das heißt, die Väter und Mütter können Dinge, die Apostolen können, die können Dinge tun, aber sie können nicht alles tun. Sie sind nicht Gott. Because the, 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 those who are sending these fathers, mothers are not are not God. Uh, they can't do everything. Das heißt, entweder durch die Schwächen oder durch bestimmte Punkte. Es wird früher oder später weil die einfach ihre eigenen Schritte tun müssen zu einer Selbstständigkeit kommen müssen, die durchaus auch verbunden ist mit Enttäuschung. Yeah, they must come to a place of um, uh, self, in order, self, self governance, even if it means making mistakes. Mm -hmm. es, für mich ist ein entscheidender Vers Psalm 27, Psalm 27. Ähm, Vers 10. Vers 10. Gerade auch im Umgang mit den gegenseitigen Schwächen, weil wir werden ja auch da versucht, gerade oder versucht, werden oft gerade da versucht, durch die Schwächen an, durch die Schwächen anderer werden unsere eigenen Schwächen herausgefordert. And uh, the, the weaknesses of others also challenge our own weaknesses. Ja, ja. Und David sagte dort: Lehre, äh, sogar mein Vater und meine Mutter haben mich verlassen. And uh, in this Psalm, the, the, the verse goes: Even if my father and mother forsake me. Aber der Herr nimmt mich auf. The, the Lord will not so will er könnte jetzt diese Verlassenheit, er könnte jetzt bitter werden. We could this uh, being uh, abandoned could make us bitter. Ja. Aber er kommt in eine Mündigkeit hinein, wo, wo David dann im nächsten Vers sagt: Lehre mich, Herr, deinen Weg und leite mich auf ebenem Pfad um, yeah. um meiner Feinde willen. Das heißt, er lässt es nicht zu, dass diese Verlassenheit zu einer Kluft wird wie es oftmals zwischen Väter und Mütter zustande kommen kann oder and, Dinge gebrochen yeah. werden. And this, this, the, the, the letting go of the fathers and mothers uh, shouldn't necessarily mean there's a, there's a unbridgeable gap any, anymore, any longer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Und da kommt es zu einer Abhängigkeit, die von Gott, die yeah. nicht auf Kosten geht, der Ehre gegenüber den Vätern. And, and this brings us to a place of uh, independence, but, but Independence upon God, which doesn't break uh, our honoring the father and the mother. Weil das was ganz entscheidend ist, das Zusammenwirken der Generationen, der, der des apostolischen Dienstes, der daraus entstehenden anderen Begabungen, die freigesetzt werden, wenn, wenn da ein gutes, der Gott Abrahams, Isaaks und Jakobs ist. Und, und ich glaube, dass, dass das etwas ist, was, ähm, was Gott einfach segnet und das bedeutet wiederum Fruchtbarkeit, gerade im Umgang miteinander. And, and this, what I've been describing, should lead to 
uh, fruitfulness uh, in connection to one another. So, keine Frage der Organisation. Wir schicken hier und wir schicken da. Das haben wir alle genug erlebt. Ich selbst war Teil davon. And it's not the organization saying, you go there, you go there, I was part of that. Sondern ein inniges Miteinander vor Gott in beschriebener Freisetzung und Unterstützung und But this dependence upon God, but keeping uh, honorable relationship. I would commend Ryan and Thomas as young leaders, younger than me, who have that, those kind of gifts and have been released healthily in substantial ministry um, with this dependence, <coughs> independence, mm -hmm. and um, if we had time, it'd be good to hear from their mm -hmm. point of view as younger leaders. They didn't. My my observation with those two is it was very healthy in the release and in the beginning of the ministry, mm -hmm. where a lot of apostolic work is born out of wounding. And sometimes trying to understand things, the ministries that they're leading now have stayed connected in a healthy way. I don't know if I understand it completely, but it's possible. It's possible. I, yeah. I wanted just to say that is because we're wrapped. We're getting close to your time limit that you gave us. Yeah. And I, but I wanted. This is this is. I think this is where we're free that to to uh, bring a, a good. Conclusion. I mean, but it's it's very important, and but I think not to leave it hanging. I I understand. I think I understand everything that you've said and agree. And it's it's a challenge. There's no easy answer. But this is what we're about: understanding. Well, I I think this is a tremendously important point that Ralph has made because the connection with the suffering and the wounding it mm -hmm. often has to do with the ability of the, <coughs> the sending people, the father or mother, to really let the younger mm -hmm. leader go, to really give him freedom, maintain the relationship and the love, but trust, really trust mm -hmm. what the new, the younger person does. Is, um, is coming out yeah. of the younger person's relationship to God. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think some help came from Africa. <laughs> this is the conclusion of the missions meetings as of last week that we need to look to the global south. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just one summary thought would be, in the end, this brings us to apprenticeship to Jesus. Because we have released without forming Christ in people. Both the apostolic leaders and those that are sent out. And when Christ-likeness is lacking, we will reap the negative consequences of that. And just one thing I would also add, the release is not 
an immediate release. There's a process of mm -hmm. release mm -hmm. that is healthy. Uh, we don't have time to talk about that now, but there is there is a process that is healthy, mm -hmm. that is gradual and prepares the younger leader for a greater and greater a release. Mm -hmm. And when the relationship is right, it's never total release because the relationship is there. Mm -hmm. So the younger leader is looking to the father and mother for help and when based on their choices. And the father and mother are not trying to control, but they're available. Mm -hmm. It's very much like natural parenting. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, um, like, it's, it's like the same if you uh, educate your own children or raise your own children. It's not from one day to the other. It's not they are 18 and now go out. Yeah. But yeah. it's also a process. I, I think um, with our children, yes, now you can do this alone and I trust you and so, no? Yeah. And the next step, the next step, the next step. And then um, you think if they are. 13 or 17, perhaps she could live alone. But from the law, they are um, adult mm. when they are 18. But we um, lead them or begleite them all the time. But it's also a process. And then I think the um, trust, the trust uh, grow up in all the time mm. from both sides. Mm -hmm. They, we, we um, make the experience. We can let them go. It will go, uh, go good, mm. but also there come some um, disappointments from both sides. But we, um, we stay wieder auf and we, yeah, we fall and go up. But then, then if they are really 18 or 20, so they left home. We know it will be good. I'm hearing uh, a series of teachings, and one of them is this whole issue of the father and the father wound, yeah. and the role that the father wound plays in the church, and the healing of the father wound. But there's a whole bigger context of teaching here, but the issues that we're talking about here are crucial. But the, the answer ultimately is in Jesus and, and uh, becoming like maturing. <laughs> yeah, maturing into his likeness. <laughs> how do we think we can do mission? <laughs> See, how do we, whatever gave us the idea that we can do mission without becoming like Jesus? Yeah. You know, we got the idea we're going to do mission and this whole thing of Christ-likeness, this is just kind of an option. We, you know, we, yeah. some people like that, but we're doing... How did we ever get that idea? George, I have a question. Um, what, in all, all the other folks that have that kind of gifting, what do you want from those of us that are in the church that are not apostolically gifted? What would you desire us to do in our relationship with you? Well, Marsha, I think that's a wonderful question because, mm -hmm. you know, some of the things that Jason shared are unique to apostolic leaders, and other things that he shared are uh, applicable to everybody. Mm 
So there is a discussion about the definition of an apostolic leader that is unique. What is it about these people that's unique? And one thing that's unique about these people is, although they're gifted to initiate, they can't do it without team. They can't do it without team. And so there are other people who are not gifted. Everybody is not gifted apostolically. Thank you, Jesus. We would be exhausted if everybody was apostolic. Thank you, Lord, that you're not all right. So every person who's gifted this way, Marsha, needs people like you and Clay and others. So the whole body is needed. And so these apostolic leaders are gifted by God to initiate and God therefore brings around them the team that they need to initiate what God is calling them to initiate. And that team, and living together with that team, is all part of the process of apprenticeship to Jesus because it's in the context of team that they learn the relational dynamics that make team healthy. So we need the whole body. And if we talk about apostolic leaders, I think it's really important to do that. But really, we are talking about in the end the whole body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are they to do? How do you she want to know what you want as an apostolic leader? What do the apostolic leader? Each apostolic initiative has its unique components. But generally speaking, what the apostolic leader needs is for those people to identify their own gifting and function in the areas of their gifting. And it's, it's dependent on the apostolic leader to discern those giftings, affirm those giftings, and release those giftings in the context of the total initiative. Mm -hmm. Can I add one more thing to that? Uh, I think Susanna gave us a very good picture of something that apostolic leaders need, which is, please slow down. Yes. <laughs> when she spoke to Jason. Yeah. So, in, what is, in other words, what is the wider application of that? We leaders have blind spots. And by definition, we cannot see our own blind spots. So we need help. So the fourth, the fourth verb is submit. The, right? The identify, encourage, release, and submit to. The gifts of those around us. Yeah. It's definitely one of the verbs. It's one of the verbs. How many verbs are there? <laughs> <laughs> Trust. <laughs> Wait. Fear. I say, um, I think George said the thing about Jesus that Jesus said, "Those who have seen me have seen the Father," and uh, I think this uh, an apostolic leader that we we enjoy being around has a father nature that, mm -hmm. for some reason, enjoy to see the sons grow yeah. uh, <coughs> healthy and. Mm -hmm have the capacity to see not just one son, but several sons and daughters have 
good families. Uh, yeah. and, and I think this, there's something about the atmosphere. We, we, sometimes we focus a lot about the technique and the titles, but there's something about atmosphere. I, when I meet certain fathers in faith, it's like the whole atmosphere say, it's okay, it's, you move on. It's, the releasing part is included in that package. It's like, uh, it's atmosphere. You, you, you feel, you don't feel fear of failure. You don't feel fear of taking initiative. You feel releasing because if it go wrong, He's there. <laughs> He's there to encourage you, and uh, I think that's that's very much the nature of, of these people we identify. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You're so satisfied. Well, you are the one. <laughs> Is that what you want? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a, a very good. The only the time only thing is Ryan wasn't. I was going to have oh, him share yeah. some. Yeah. He wasn't wanting to do that and unprepared. But the ministry that he's doing is very significant, and it's mm -hmm. embodying much of the apprenticeship to Jesus. And George has mentored him. He's had other mentors. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and and Thomas and the same concept of Ahab, I just, you know, sometimes some there's not enough positive examples, and these are two mm -hmm. that have in godly way they've suffered, mm. and they're still suffering, <laughs> and they're still being, and they're not their dreams are not, but in their heart when they describe in the present tense. And uh, and you can see the fruit of that because others are drawn and they're, and they're building teams. Both of these are, are extraordinary at recognizing needs and building teams. So anyway, um, I would like to have had Ryan make a presentation. I know he's doing it, but he wasn't quite up for that today. But please talk with him at first. And I yes. guess the only other thing I'd say is that George has done extensive teaching on these things in a number of retreat settings where he's gone much, much deeper. And, and there's some things on the website, on particularly on the wounded leaders, that the, Thomas referred to the teaching in Seattle on wounded leaders. It wasn't planned, but through Hannah's kind of prophetic word, George did it. And several of us in the organization of Antioch Mark that as a something we've heard before, but there was something, there was an anointing there for that day. This is a very important for us. So, anyway, there are other resources, what I'm saying. So, from we can anyone. access the, all that stuff yeah, on the all. Antioch Network website. Yeah. Anybody can access it. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> Antioch, Antioch Network. Yeah. Dot O-R-G, yeah, or, I think, I think and then if you go to resources or messages, you, you can find it.
It'll get cleaned up eventually. <laughs> that is future. That's not a vision. <laughs> Somebody doesn't have that as a vision yet. Just as a need. Yeah. Uh, we're also beginning to compile a few of George's teachings in video and audio, and there's still stuff to talk about about how we present that and offer it, I guess, but just that's something to remember and for us to discuss yeah. in this group. Wow, thank you, Lord. And uh, it would be, I mean, at some point it would be nice, you know, Antioch doesn't have a corner on the wisdom for this. You know, we're all part of networks and experiences and these kind of learning environments. Mm -hmm. This was very concentrated, folks, but out of our fellowship with one another, I, we will learn. Mm -hmm. Would Thomas, it might be good if you could just seal every good word. <laughs> yeah. Father, thank you so much. Uh, we recognize that even to be breathing today is from you. Yeah. Much less to be together, much less to be together discussing these important and beautiful uh, realities. And so we give you honor and thanks. Uh, we thank you again for Nigel and Karen and pray your great blessing on this place and on their lives. We pray for Amen. Tracy and her travel. We ask Amen. you Amen. giving her grace for this journey. Amen. And uh, Lord, we give to you the rest of the time we have together and ask that your will would be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Uh, 2.30 we're back here and Marion is going to be sharing some things this afternoon as well. Praise the Lord. There's a seer in the land. <laughs> Did you say 2 or 2.30? 2.30. 2.30.